0: Hey everybody out there in internet land, welcome to this episode of the Black Case Diaries. Hey! What's up? I'm Adam and I'm here with...
1: Robin. Marcy.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. just like usual, right? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So today we've got a fun one. We're gonna tell you the top 10 best (laughs) non-Disney animated movies. Yeah. Uh, Specifically 2D animated movies. Yeah, they're all
1: these are all traditionally animated. Yes. Some of them have a few aspects of 3D animation. There will be a couple CGI moments maybe in these, but generally these are across the board 2-dimensional movies.
0: So so everything post Toy Story don't count. No. <laughs> Basically, all all those <laughs> movies that are in the in the third dimension, yeah. Get them out.
1: Yeah, a lot of these movies came out, I mean, In the 80s and 90s. (laughs) Right.
0: So they were around the time it was right, you know, the last hurrah for for these 2D animation uh, movies. And we love them so much, we're going to talk about them. Yep. Mm -hmm. But we're going to leave Disney out of it, for goodness sake. So you're going to hear some, you'll probably hear some (laughs) movies on this list that you're like, what is that? I thought that was Disney. Well, you're wrong. (laughs) (laughs) These are all not Disney movies, and we're going to kick things off with our number 10 The Brave Little Toaster.
1: Yay! Woo! So this might be confusing because Disney claims this movie.
2: <laughs> yes.
1: But it's not really a Disney production. So right. we we did include it on the list. We had a hard time. I did a lot of research about it and there's a lot of like kind of differing accounts about what happened, but I think I figured it out <laughs> from from reading all of that. So technically, the Brave Little Toaster has been distributed by Walt Disney Pictures in recent years, starting with you know the VHS release in the 1990s. And just before that, it was on the Disney Channel. But what really happened was Disney purchased the rights to the Brave Little Toaster in the early 1980s. It's based off of a book by Thomas Dish. Yeah, Sorry. Right, I thought it was funny. that hit, Yeah, his name, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dish, yeah. So it's based off of a book, and they acquired the rights to the story in the early 1980s, and when they did that, John Lasseter was still working at Disney, and he and Glenn Keane pitched doing this movie as a mixture of 2D and 3D animation. And when the exec- Disney executives were like, well... I mean, is that going to save us money and time? And they said, no, it's not. And uh, they said, well, then we shouldn't do it because we should only use computers if it's going to save us time and money. Right. And then John Lasseter got fired immediately after. (laughs) Oops. Yeah. So he got fired and Disney kind of sent the project away to a place called Hyperion Pictures. And uh, that's where it kind of gets dicey with who made this movie, Is that really a Disney studio? Ah. And what happened was a lot of people that ended up creating Pixar later on worked on this movie. And it was basically, it was considered an independent production that Disney kind of threw a tiny bit of money at. And so Disney gave them the money to start the movie. And so they were able to kind of get it off the ground. But that was kind of it. After that, it was not, besides that bit of money in the beginning, Disney wasn't really involved in making this. So it's not really a Disney film. It's an independent production. And then when it was released, it was on like the indie circuit. It was like Sundance, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And it did really well. People really liked it. And they just had such a hard time getting a distributor. And so Disney, it was like, it had a limited release so it was only out for a really short time, and then Disney put it on the Disney Channel, and then it kind of just, that's it. And that wasn't great for them, mostly because not a lot of people were paying for cable at the time. Yeah. So not a lot of people had it. But, yeah, that that's where, it, you know, and then in, in the early 90s, it finally got a VHS release, so.
0: Right, yeah. and then it was advertised on every other VHS that existed. Because yes. that's how I remember it. Yeah. <laughs>
1: And it was advertised as a Disney film.
0: <laughs> yeah, so it it's was. got the
1: castle on the beginning. It says Walt Disney on top so technically they own and what I read mostly was that Disney after this movie was created, Disney kind of bought it back. Like they, mm-hmm. they, they basically paid for the rights to it again so they could distribute it later, but essentially it, it was hung out to dry. <laughs> yeah for would, a
0: while. Which is wow. a real shame because it is a great movie. A lot of movies kind of love to do this inanimate objects to life kind of thing you right. think of beauty and the beast and the be our guest scene and that kind of stuff but this takes that to kind of a new level because mm-hmm. they are the characters and that's yeah it.
1: Mm-hmm. a lot of people consider it to be a prototype of toy story because uh, since a lot of pixar animators worked on it that's one reason another reason is that it actually has the a1 13 you know, the Easter egg that's in all the Pixar um, movies. Does it? It's actually in this movie, too. So people kind of consider it to be, you know, the precursor to Toy Story. And then they said that the basically a lot of the tropes and the themes that are covered in this movie are very similar to ones that are still in Pixar movies. Inanimate objects, dark themes, characters going on a long journey and discovering something about themselves. Generally, this is something that happens a lot in Pixar movies. And so...
0: There you go. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. see it
2: now.
1: And, uh, yeah, so... Uh, The story, if you're unfamiliar with The Brave Little Toaster, everybody listening, it follows a group of inanimate objects that have been abandoned in a summer home. And they realize they've been abandoned. They go on a quest to find their master, who they remember as an eight-year-old boy. The home has recently been sold, and with it, the appliances, I guess
0: yeah which is weird yeah that is weird i don't it's kind
1: of like a super rude thing to do i think if you sell your home you should all your crap yeah you shouldn't you should take your stuff out of it mm-hmm. <laughs> you know unless you're
0: selling it as a completely furnished home but in this case yeah they were completely selling off the house and and left all this stuff completely random stuff too like i think they yeah. even took Stuff like the couch and yeah,
1: it, it was like random. That. It was like a toaster, a radio, a yeah. lamp,
0: <laughs> a vacuum, an
1: electric blanket. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's which very... which took me forever to realize that it was an electric blanket because right. mm-hmm. I'm like, what the heck is up with this like face part? That I makes couldn't no handle sense it either. When I was a blanket. kid, I
1: was so confused by that.
0: Mm-hmm. But still, still a great movie. Kind of gives you a a homeward bound kind of.
1: Yeah. Because
0: it has that same yeah. journey where, like, mm-hmm. in this case, they intentionally left them behind, not like homeward yeah. bound. But
1: it is kind of sad mm-hmm. and hard to take when you're a kid watching this. Because I watched this a lot. Yeah. You kind of wondered what was going to happen
0: mm-hmm. at the
1: end of the movie because you you understood that they were left behind on purpose. It mm-hmm. wasn't right.
0: You're afraid that when they finally find their master, then he's just gonna be like, "Oh, how the heck did this end up here, trash?" Right. You know.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. And it turns out their master is uh, in, in search of nostalgia <laughs> yeah. when he sees his old appliances. He's like, oh, just yeah. like the ones I had when I was a kid, right?
0: Perfect, That's yeah. exactly
1: what would happen now. Oh, yeah. Because
0: what you don't for realize sure. is, like, they're looking for an eight-year-old kid. Yeah. But they find a man, you yeah. know? So much time has passed throughout this movie, but they never really call attention to it.
1: Yeah, yeah. And uh, there were some other dark things in this movie. Like, apparently, I was reading about Donald Kushner thought that the nightmare sequence should be cut from the movie, along Mm -hmm. with a scene in the junkyard where a car Mm -hmm. willingly drives into the crusher. um, Because they were scary scenes and also because they depicted suicide. They felt like it should be cut from the film. But they weren't. Cut from the film, and they and from from what I read, it said for an unknown reason they were not cut. <laughs> they just it's, didn't do like it. They just
3: forgot to cut. <laughs> they,
0: they had the they they had an intern do that, and he just did. Yeah, yeah. I was He's gonna like, say I'm were, leaving in a week anyway. There were yeah.
3: specific scenes that were very memorable as a kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they were either so graphic like that, <laughs> a little or bit like traumatizing, dark. Yeah, because yeah. I remember in the beginning when the is it the coolant or the I'm sorry, the it's the air conditioner. Air he like you. blows he, yeah
1: blows up yes mm-hmm. yeah. that was
3: kind of traumatizing as a kid a yeah, little he, bit i mean i love this in front movie, of
1: their very eyes yeah. yeah
3: yeah that one and then <clears throat> as you said the the junkyard scene when mm-hmm. the the car drives in to be yeah. crushed that was yeah a very visual thing that i kept with me mm. and uh i feel like there was one other maybe just when they were like traveling in the dark and they had yeah you know, the light couldn't plug in anywhere.
1: Yeah, there's a scene when they're in like a shop and there's a bunch of other appliances talking to them and because I think the guy that found them, he like tinkers with items and he, you Mm -hmm. know, and I I remember that was very big because a lot of them look very scared. And there's a
3: musical number which makes it even weirder. Yeah, they (laughs) sing
1: about it. They sing about how they're doomed and... (laughs) I didn't realize how dark the film was until Mm -hmm. I watched it with my older siblings. I remember very specifically sitting on the floor, you know, drinking, drinking a pop or something. I don't know. (laughs) Whatever I did when I was a child and watching uh, the movie and my older sister, Rita, who's she's uh, 11 years older than I am. And I remember her sitting down, watching it with me, and her just being horrified <laughs> by, by the things that were happening in this movie. And I, that's when I realized, like, oh, this is, yeah, this is kind of dark.
0: I'm such a cool kid for watching this.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, the music score was done by David Newman. Uh-huh. Obviously, from the Newman dynasty of yes. composers yes. in Hollywood, right? Thomas, mm-hmm. David, Alfred—all Newmans. Talked about them. Right, mm-hmm. and the voices were done by John Lovitz. He plays the radio. Timothy Stack as Lampy. Timothy E. Day as Blanky. Thurl Ravenscroft as Kirby. Who Thurl Ravenscroft is the voice of the 1960s. You remember when Mister Grinch he sings the song in the movie, and nice. yeah, and so he he had a really sweet voice yeah Dan Oliver as Toaster and Phil Hartman as the air conditioner did you guys think the Toaster was a girl or a boy when you watched it
0: for me it's it, it was always a he but I guess that's just because me being on a little boy was just like yeah I,
1: I think they say he in the movie yeah but amazing. i always thought it was a girl really? when i was a kid i thought yeah. I, I thought it was
0: a they, boy they leave it so ambiguous that it can go either way right. i think a lot of women voice act young boys mm. right right like yeah at least in a lot of cases it would be easier for a woman to sound like that yeah you know i can't really get my voice up very high anymore right. yeah but i could if, sound
1: like a young boy if i want to yeah
2: mm-hmm. probably
0: mm-hmm. all right some say i
1: just do all the time
0: all right let's move on to the next one number nine balto
1: balto Balto. yeah we had a little instagram picture of some of the movies we were going to talk about tonight and we asked what people's favorite was and somebody did say balto
0: yeah balto Mm -hmm. is a good one it's pretty popular it came out in 1995 it was directed by simon wells and produced by Amblimation. And if you guys don't know that one, it's because it was here and gone in an instant.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. It was a little project of Steven Spielberg. You guys might know Amblin Productions. That's Mm -hmm. Steven Spielberg's uh, company. Uh It worked on E.T. and Drash Park and all that stuff. There's an
1: E.T. reference in Balto.
0: There sure is. It's pretty great. So Steven Spielberg was like, yeah, I'm going to try my hand at animation after he split off with Don Bluth, who we'll talk about This whole episode, probably. But he, uh, after they split off, he's like, you know, why is animation so difficult? He just didn't, it just didn't click with him for some reason. So he started his own little animation studio called Amblimation, and they only made three movies before they went under. Balto was one of them. But it doesn't mean it was a bad movie. Just in case you're wondering, they made the uh, American Tales sequel, Five Will Goes West, We're Back, A Dinosaur Story, and Balto. So the film is loosely based on the real-life story of Balto, who helped save the children infected by diphtheria epidemic in 1925, Serum Run to Nome. In Alaska, settled areas are so far apart. Alaska is a huge, huge state. So Mm -hmm. the only way to get stuff to places was by sled dog because the, the train tracks didn't go far enough or something like that. In the movie, the doctor runs out of this medicine for for the children suffering from this disease. Yeah, and they, like
1: the antitoxin, I think, is what they call it. Yeah, in the movie. yeah.
0: In the movie, it's an antitoxin because they don't want to get too <laughs> in depth on realness th- for that. Yeah. So, you know, and then Balto, being this uh, half wolf, half husky dog, it's kind of an outcast of this town and really wants to be a sled dog and you know finally gets his chance to do it prove himself all that stuff so it's a right. really really great story there but this movie actually went up against toy story talking about toy story again when it came out and you know re- probably got pretty heavily overshadowed by it because obviously mm-hmm. pixar's first movie mm-hmm. this new 3d wow is crazy yeah you know but it did well enough, and it spawned two direct-to-VHS sequels. Balto was voiced by Kevin Bacon, which is Ooh. pretty great. Right. It, it also has <laughs> Bob Hoskins, Bridget Fonda, Jim Cummings, who we talked about. I and, love Jim Cummings. And Phil Collins, of all people, who got to voice two characters in this movie.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's um, the polar bears. Yeah,
0: he's the two yeah. polar bears, Mud and Luck. Oh, no, sorry, oh, no. Muck. Yeah. Muck and luck, that's got to <laughs> yes. be it then. But one thing I want to talk about, just because I thought it was interesting, some differences that they made between the movie and the real-life story. The first thing, the character Balto, he's like this gray wolf dog thing in the movie, but in real life he's just a purebred Siberian husky. So Aww. imagine the...
1: Those are so cute.
0: They really are. So just imagine the, the bad guy in this movie, Steel, yeah. <laughs> That's what Balto actually looked like, except he wasn't evil, right?
1: Yeah. They but, animated Steel to look a little evil.
0: Right. Yeah. And they had to change up the way Balto looked so that he'd be a little more likable and you'd be able to tell that he's not the bad guy.
1: Yeah, yeah. He's the friendly dog. Right. Mm-hmm.
0: But also, in the real life story, the Trek was actually a relay between multiple sledding teams, 20 teams, wow. actually. Oh, man. Because it's a, you know, they have to kind of shrink the distance in the movie because... Of time, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. But in real life, that's miles and miles and miles, right? So they had 20 different teams doing this, and Balto's team happened to be the last one. Oh. So they got okay. to deliver it, you know. Yeah. They so, got to be
2: the heroes. So, <laughs> right. So when
0: you really look into the story here, there are a lot of teams and a lot of lead dogs like Balto that, that deserve the credit for this because it's a really great story. Another thing is Balto in in the sequels he kind of has a family with the with the dog mm-hmm. Jenna mm-hmm. in the movie yes. well, in real life, Balto was neutered oh, no. pretty early on and never ended up having puppies, which is kind of a shame because he's a hero and he has yeah. really good genes, yeah. yeah, but you know whatever I guess Bomber. and then and then the last thing here, I thought it was interesting the real life Balto is now on display. <laughs> In uh, in the right. Cleveland Natural History Museum, not in right. Alaska or not in New York. It's yeah, it's in Cleveland. <laughs> kind of weird, it's yeah. in Cleveland for some reason. So we're all gonna make a trip up yeah. there. Yeah, we're right? all gonna go. We're all gonna go we're gonna we're gonna make, gonna make go. a journey since we're in Ohio. Yeah. We're yeah. gonna go visit Balto. I
1: I was thinking about the imagery in this movie, and I think the scene that stuck out to me the most was a scene where the man's making the baby coffins. Yeah. Yes. Oh man. I couldn't oh, man. believe I was thinking about that and I thought, man, what a dark I mean, the darkness is definitely gonna be a big topic tonight, mm-hmm. a lot of the movies we're talking mm-hmm. about. But damn. Yeah, it's because
0: yeah. Disney didn't want to touch these kinds of things. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. that's why these movies exist. Yeah. Because this a lot of these movies are made by dissenting Disney employees who felt like darkness was important.
3: I literally did tear up during yeah. that scene. I I couldn't I couldn't help it.
0: Yeah, I it mean, was, the realization that was yeah. like almost 20 kids aren't going to make it because of this disease. Yeah. yeah. You know, oh, and another thing about the real life story in the movie, it's just affecting these kids, but in mm-hmm. real life, it affected a lot more people, including adults. So, yeah. like, big, big deal. But yeah, that's, that's Balto. Wow. It's, a, it's a great, right. great movie.
3: And it inspired my drink for the week. Which we named antitoxin. Yeah, it's the, of the antitoxin. Yes, yeah. and in this case, I believe the toxin is Disney. We're trying to uh, get Disney out <laughs> it's here. The, it's the Disney antidote. <laughs> the Whoa. Disney antidote here <laughs> to these uh, top ten. Thirty cc stat.
0: Yes, exactly,
3: <laughs> exactly. So it's it's uh, pretty awesome. It's in a in a little syringe. So you'll have to check that out on our Patreon site. Yeah.
0: patreoncom slash Diaries. Yeah. All right, let's move on to number eight. Oh, yeah. Ooh, you ready?
3: Yeah. I'm ready, ready, ready.
0: An American Tale.
1: Yay. Yay. Never say never again. Yeah. <laughs> Somewhere... Oh, I had the soundtrack to this.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's another. This is another movie that was advertised on every other (laughs) VHS that existed. You know, this movie came out in nineteen eighty six. Again, produced by Amblin Entertainment, but this time before it became Amblimation, with Bluth Incorporated. Again, the legendary Don Bluth. (laughs) Lots of great stuff in there. This is this is a musical. The original concept was they they wanted an all animal world, kind of like Zootopia or Robin Hood oh. or something like okay. that. That was their original pitch for this movie. But you know, still America or whatever, mm-hmm. just an animal version. Not until actually um, Don Bluth suggested the idea that they have this mice world that was under the noses of all the people. It existed without the knowledge of of our world, right? Mm-hmm. And then actually the movie that gave that that Steven Spielberg watched and then was like, "Yep, yeah, we're going to do that," was The Rescuers.
1: Rescuers. I when you said that I thought of The Rescuers which Don Bluth worked on. Yeah. But also I thought of The Great Mouse Detective which mm-hmm. came out around this exact same time yep. where it was mice living underneath the world of people but having their own society.
0: Right. And yeah. and and a lot of these movies like to do that, mm-hmm. you know. If they're if they're not directly interacting with people, kind of yeah. like Jungle Book or mm-hmm. or uh, Cinderella, for example, the mice interacting with Cinderella, you know. Right. In, in this, they have their own society, their own places to live, their own clothes, and I think it worked out for the best. Mm-hmm. We've got a lot of a lot of voices in this movie. <laughs> yeah.
2: Philip Glasser
0: <laughs> is Five Old Mouskowitz, the main character. Um, what a cute name <laughs> is it Mouskowitz the cutest last name you've ever heard. <laughs> Erica Young is the mother. Nehemiah Persoff was the father who I think might be my favorite character. I just yeah, I don't know something about him. Amy Green is the sister, Tanya. Christopher Plummer is Henry. John Finnegan as Warren T. Rat. Will Ryan is Diggit. Who I believe is the um, the little cockroach who lives in his pocket. Hal Smith as Mo, Pat Musick as Tony, Catherine Blore as Bridget, the uh, the activist mouse yeah. girlfriend. Neil Ross as Honest John, the the not so honest politician, and then Dom DeLuise as Tiger, yeah, the, the one yeah. friendly cat. Yep. Oh, Dom. So anyway, after all of those names, <laughs> this story is about Fyvel Mouskiewicz, and his family leaving mm-hmm. in the Ukraine.
1: This movie's awesome mm-hmm. when it comes to teaching the lesson of like, showing kids what immigration was like during this time period, immigrating mm-hmm. to the United States. And uh, there are parts of it that show the, the really harsh realities of it. And the idea, too, that you will always have problems. Mm
2: -hmm. No
1: matter where you go, no matter what happens, you will always have problems. Mm -hmm. Problems will always follow you. But it's, you know, how you deal with those problems that make you who you are. And that's what Mm -hmm. the movie's about. Because, you know, you think about how they say, you know, there are no cats in America and the streets are paved with cheese. This idea that, you know, people didn't, honestly believe that the streets were paved with gold in america mm-hmm. but they thought that you know it would just be a much better situation for them and in, in a lot of cases it was but there were still issues that they had to deal with right. obviously once they got here
0: right and in in the context of this movie there are obviously still cats in america yes so mm-hmm. they still ran into similar issues yeah and how the the actual ride on the ship was really yeah. treacherous and difficult and the, and that's actually where Fivol and his family get separated. Yes. Mm-hmm. They believe he fell off the ship and drowned. They think he's dead. Yeah. yeah. Um, when in fact he survived by via a glass bottle.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> yeah.
3: Yes. Yes. Um, that's what, the main part I remember of this movie was when is just his father is just yelling mm-hmm. after him.
1: Fivol. Yeah. It's so sad. It's,
0: it's horrible. It's cr- what I what I was thinking about <clears throat> What I was thinking about after watching this recently too. Mm-hmm. Is can you imagine him having to go back down the stairs after that and tell and, everybody and back to the family? Yeah.
3: Oh my yeah. gosh.
0: What a, what a, right. Ugh.
1: And I love the details of the fact that like the mouse characters changed their names when they came to mm-hmm. the United States. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why, that was, you know. Yeah. Why did he,
0: why is my name Tilly now?
1: Yeah. To, so, you know, that, yeah. like all that kind of stuff that kids don't know about necessarily. They might mm-hmm. not tell you in school or in history class. Right. You know that kind of
0: thing yeah because the the immigration person like checking them in he's like oh what's your name and he goes so-and-so mauskovitz and he's like oh nice to meet you mr smith yep it's like oh well yep all right
2: (gasps) Uh (laughs) uh-huh but but, you know it doesn't get
0: too much more more serious than that luckily Mm. there are some other like pokes at real life like i mentioned the uh the not so trustworthy politician. Yeah, Honest John. Mm-hmm. Honest John. Oh, honest. You know they're dealing with this cat problem, and they there is a dead mouse on you know on the table. They're giving him like a ceremony or something. Honest John is drunk at this point. He's like, "Oh, he can't register to vote." <laughs> He's like, "I'll make sure he votes every year," and he writes down the mouse's name in his little book, uh... like. Yeah. Oh geez, seriously. But yeah, it's a it's a great little movie. Um one one cool thing that I wanted to mention is somewhere out there, the the song that Fival and his sister sing mm-hmm. actually got some awards. ASCAP Award, a BMI Film and TV Award, and two Grammys. One for Best Song Written Specifically for a Motion Picture and song of the year
1: that song i never forgot it when i was a kid just the line where she says uh even though how very far apart we are it helps to think we might be wishing on the same bright star nice little thought you Uh, know
0: the connection between siblings you know it's yeah very strong in this movie and yeah it's a great great little movie all
1: right that's
0: that
3: (laughs) what's the next number on our list what's the next one
0: gonna move on to number seven
3: yeah, number seven. You want to take this one? I will take this one. All right. This is uh, the 2009 film, The Secret of Kells. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Now, we've talked about this one before, and you can always go back and listen to that episode. Yeah. This is a, a movie by uh, directed by Tom Moore. And if you haven't seen it or don't know anything about it, The Secret of Kells is The plot centers on Brendan, a young boy living in the Abbey of Kells under the care of his stern uncle, Abbot Kellick. Determined to protect his people, Abbot Kellick believes all manpower should be focused on building a wall to keep out the Vikings. Brendan is an apprentice in the scriptorium of the monastery and becomes friends with Brother Aidan, creator of the Book of Iona. Together they create the book that turns darkness into light which is the Unfinished Book of Kells. The story is based on the origin of the Book of Kells, a beautiful and intricate manuscript containing the four Gospels of the New Testament. Today, it is located in Dublin, Ireland. And the movie draws from Celtic mythology and art styles, including its inclusion of Crom crueck, and fairies.
1: This is such a cool movie mm-hmm. with such a cool story. It's really interesting. There's so much Irish culture in it,
0: which is something that is desperately underexplored. Yeah, you know, it's it's we hear about Greek mythology and 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 Norse mythology and all this stuff all the time, but we forget about Irish mythology and the in that kind of culture. And it's so cool and interesting. Yeah.
1: I mean, we know about mm. leprechauns. <laughs> And if yeah. you'll, you'll notice mm-hmm. when you watch this, there's no leprechauns in this movie.
3: Yeah, <laughs> Thank goodness.
1: And I, I love just there's actual Irish spoken in this movie, mm-hmm. which all, is very special. Yeah, and
0: all the voice actors are actual Irish people. Yeah. So yeah. these yeah, accents are real.
3: Getting I know, famous yeah. people to, to give it their best. Give it, yeah, <laughs> their best. They actually got true. So speaking of the actors, we have Evan McGuire as Brendan. Brendan Gleeson as Abbott Kellick, Kristen Mooney as Ashling, Mick Lally as Brother Aiden.
0: I love this movie. You, you put it really well. It's beautiful mm-hmm. in, in its style, and it's underappreciated. I mean, it, it got um, Best Animated Picture of 2009, but other than that... But it doesn't, you know, gets a lot of the same love as a lot of other animated movies do. It's it's beautiful. And even the score, the whole soundtrack is wonderful. I listened to it just on its own, you know, mm-hmm. not even with the movie. It's just so unique and, and beautiful. It's
3: Right. Oh. The director was interviewed and the interviewer asked him if when he was younger in schools and stuff, do they teach about the, the history of the art and and the all the different, you know, symbols and all that kind of stuff. And he actually said that it's more focused on the stories. Yeah. That the art and the, all that kind of stuff kind of takes a little bit of a back burner. And t- that around him, he grew up with a lot of different stuff. I mean, it's on, like, the, mm. the manholes and all that kind of stuff that nobody really he thinks that maybe people don't appreciate it as much as they they could or they should so that's kind of interesting to hear because like this movie is so beautiful with all of its different artwork that's put into it so the film is based on the story of the origin of the book of kells which is an illuminated manuscript gospel book in latin containing the four gospels of the new testament located in dublin ireland and it also draws upon Celtic mythology examples.
1: One of the big parts of this movie is the idea that art is important and that if we may not survive, our culture and our art should. Mm-hmm. And uh, above all things, to die is really more to be forgotten. And that that's one of the big themes of this. What's more important? You know, Should we save our people from earthly problems or should we... You know, which is very important, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or should we try our best to make sure that our stories right. live it, on? It,
0: it, and it's a really heavy decision. Yeah. You know, because obviously you don't want people to die. You don't want the Vikings to come in and kill everyone.
1: Yeah. It's a heavy idea that's not really portrayed in, and i would say in children's films mm-hmm. but the thing is is that animation is not exclusively children for children it's not generally shown in animated films either because people think if it's animated a child will watch it so this kind of stuff is usually stayed they kind of stay away mm-hmm. from this kind of thing
0: i wouldn't necessarily say this movie's for kids i wouldn't mm-hmm.
1: show this to a child that was very young yeah I yeah. mean they'd
0: have to under you can't it's hard for there's
1: a very graphic scene where many of the people die, yeah in this movie and i I don't think that it's very explicit like i don't I don't think children watching it are gonna get right. really upset what but it's it's pretty obvious what's happening,
0: right I mean, everything turns red, and the yeah. Vikings are drawn in silhouettes, and it's like yeah. You know, pretty intensely done.
1: I think, yeah, I think a young child would have a really hard time yeah. with that
0: scene. S- so what I mean is, you know, animation is not necessarily just for kids in the same way that live action is not necessarily just for adults. No. Nah. It, it, it's so silly that people feel the need that if something isn't live action, then it's not a real movie.
3: So one last thing about The Secret of Kells is that it actually began development in 1999. So that that was quite a while ago.
0: Yeah, quite a quite a long yeah, development. Yeah, long
3: development time. And it was inspired by lots of different things, like The Thief and the Cobbler, Mulan, Gustav Klimt's paintings, and the works of Hayao Miyazaki.
0: You can tell when something is like a Hayao Miyazaki. It yeah. feels Japanese, mm-hmm. you know.
1: And I yeah, now that you mention that, Hayao Miyazaki. None mm-hmm. of those are on this list, by the way. Sorry.
0: We felt that Hayao Miyazaki and Studio Ghibli in general deserves its own episode and these are just some I mean it would probably dominate the top 10 anyway. So oh, it's yeah. safe to it's safe to take them out and we're going to talk about these darn it. All right, so we're going to move on to the next one, number 6.
3: Woo, 6, Woo. Iron Giant. The Iron Giant. Yay. Yeah, a little 1999 film. <laughs> so so right when uh, a Kells was in of. development, this uh, <laughs> one yeah. came out. So I'm sure a lot of you know what this one is. But basically, a giant robot lands from outer space, and a young boy, Hogarth Hughes, befriends him. But the, when the government finds out about the robot... This uh, agent, Kent Mansley, decides he must be destroyed <laughs> at all costs.
0: That name is great. Kent Mansley.
1: <laughs> <laughs> this is a movie that played constantly
0: yeah.
3: here yeah. in the United States, uh, especially on Cartoon Network. Cartoon
0: Network is what I going to say, yep. <laughs>
3: It, it played a lot. Well, I, who didn't even have cable at any time in my childhood, saw it. It was on just regular TV as well. Yeah. So that's
0: saying something. If was, Marcy yeah.
1: saw it, then it, it was definitely uh, widely <laughs> distributed.
3: <laughs>
0: if, if Marcy saw it, everyone saw. it. Yeah, if
1: she saw it on her own, I mean, like I yeah. didn't show it to right. her. Right. Yes. That that means that it, it was pretty accessible.
3: So talking about that, it actually was considered a flop when it came out. <sighs> Yeah. uh, Not many people went and saw it. I don't think it was in theaters for very long. But when it got to VHS and DVD, it got bigger. Mm -hmm. People started liking it. And then it was bought up by, I, I think it was the Cartoon Network or something like that. They got, they got their hands on it, and that's when it started really getting distributed. It was, a get, like you guys said, it was on TV all the yeah. time, and that's when people really started to love it because they were able to see it. Right,
0: finally. Yeah.
3: So, yeah, yeah. So some famous actors that did voices for it, Jennifer Aniston, Harry Connick Jr., Vin Diesel as none other than the Iron Giant, <laughs> <laughs> Cloris Leachman... Christopher McDonald, John Mahoney, e- Eli Marienthal, and M. Emmett Walsh. Nice. Yeah.
0: It's a good cast in there. Yeah.
1: Right? I love his mom. You know, like, she's not necessarily a, a big character in the movie, mm-hmm. but gosh, she's such a good, strong character. I love that. I love how she's just she's so dedicated to taking care of him. Yeah. That she was just, like, a single mother who's a waitress and... You know, it's kind of a tough mm-hmm. situation. The movie does does get very upsetting and sad as it goes on, but mm-hmm. you know, it's one of those coming of age stories.
0: Yeah. And things can't always stay the same. Yeah. No matter how much we want them to, yeah. change happens, mm-hmm. and, and we adapt. Even though we don't like change, that's
3: why we don't have any guests on. Ever. I like dollars. <laughs>
1: that's why we're all still friends. Yes,
3: exactly. <laughs> um, because, because
1: we hate change. <laughs> we we're just as immature as we were when we were eleven Whoa. years old. <laughs> wow!
3: I think we were pretty immature for when we were, when we were eleven, but you know, speak for yourselves. Me. Yeah,
1: we were pretty mature for eleven-year-old kids.
3: <laughs> okay, so. This was actually kind of uh, based off of a Ted Hughes novel from 1968 called The Iron Man. Oh. Yeah. But it's kind of, it's pretty different from that book. He had actually written that book to console his children after the death of their mother, Sylvia Plath. So this kind of is rooted kind of in some sad, sad story there. But. um, Wow.
1: I can't believe that. The husband of Sylvia Plath wrote that. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah.
3: yeah. Wow. Very weird to think. When I learned that, I was like, man, oh, wow. Okay. That's so sad. Um, So the movie was actually renamed so it wouldn't be confused with, you know, the superhero Iron Man. Right. But the so the book, its plot is that this Iron Man is causing this big destruction on Earth. And so they everybody wants to take him out but they haven't been able to tie him down or destroy him. But there's this sweet twist where he ends up saving the planet from a terrible monster threat that's come from outer space. Ah, so there you go. Yeah. Although Ted Hughes passed away before the movie was actually made, he actually got to see the screenplay. Mm. And so I found an article where there's a quote. He said, I want to tell you how much I like what Brad, bird has done he's made a terrific dramatic situation out of the way he's developed the iron giant i can't stop thinking about it so he had some pretty high praises for what and
1: brad bird man
3: yeah Yeah, brad bird he's a good
1: storyteller
3: yeah yeah he is and so brad bird in order to honor ted hughes he named so annie and hogarth uh their last name is hughes because of ted hughes which I thought was really sweet. That's a really nice nod. Yeah. So this all started because a very sad story of Sylvia Plath dying, Mm -hmm. but it also kind of continued with that tragedy because at a comic con in 2016, Brad Bird revealed that he actually brought his own real life tragedy into the film's inspiration. His sister had been killed by her husband, with some needless gun violence and so during the con he said when you shoot somebody you're not just killing the person you're killing a part of all the people that love that person and that's why in this movie he really stresses that point against weapon violence yeah and so when he pitched the idea he said the idea i pitched to warner brothers after reading the book When I said that I really liked it, but I wanted to do something different with it, was I said, what if a gun had a soul? The Iron Giant is given a soul, and that way he can decide he's not going to do what he was built to
0: do. Wow. That's interesting.
3: that really stuck with them.
0: Yeah, man. Yeah. I, I i really like brad bird <laughs> I, I i mean shoot i already liked this movie a lot before this list yeah. but with all that context it's like wow it makes it's like really powerful stuff yeah, man yeah, yeah.
3: so some other little teeny tidbits here and there uh the score was done by michael common and the art style was inspired by edward hopper nc wyeth and norman rockwell and that's why the town that Hogarth is from is named Rockwell. Is kind of like a, a little yeah. tribute to Norman Rockwell. Nice. That's cute. Yes. Yeah,
0: th- this movie takes place in, like, the 50s or 60s, yeah. doesn't it? Uh,
3: another little little interesting factoid is that he was able to sneak in the voices of two of his animator mentors from Disney. So, oh. he got Frank Thomas and Ollie Johnston as the train workers that are interviewed within the
0: movie. Nice. So, That's even awesome. though it's not
3: a Disney movie or anything, he got two of his yes. mentors to be in it.
0: Right, yeah. The, a lot of these movies have, like we've mentioned already, a lot of relationships between these big studios.
3: Uh-huh. And, you know, yeah. it,
0: all, it all pulls through. Yeah. So... We're gonna move to the next one. Number five. We're halfway there, guys. Mm. Hang in there. All right. Secret of Nim. Woo. <gasps> yeah. uh-huh. I know what you're all
1: thinking. You're all thinking Robin hasn't talked for a while. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. They're definitely not thinking well. that. Well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the Secret of Nim came out in nineteen eighty-two. And uh, to talk about that, we gotta talk, we got to take a, a little bit of a step back, because now, guys, we're going to finally actually talk about Don Bluth. you excited?
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A little <laughs> bit, actually. We said we were going to talk about it a lot, but here we go. Here we go. So in
1: 1979, Don Bluth, Gary Goldman, John and John Pomeroy, and a group of animators left Disney to create an independent animation studio. The story of The Secret of Nim had been pitched to Disney, but they reportedly turned it down. And I read somewhere that they said, We already have a mouse. Which is an insane thing to say. Oh. Insane. <laughs> Because so many movies, even Disney movies,
0: have mouses in them. <laughs> and, and, and especially because... M- Mice in them, sorry. Yeah. Especially because Mickey isn't going to pull off a story like this. Right, 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 right. Oh, my goodness.
3: What? I could see him doing it. He's, oh, he's very versatile. Please. <laughs>
1: there's lots of... There's different things have been said about Don Bluth and, and, you know, the way he kind of took went away from Disney and dissented from them. But he himself said that the environment at Disney was toxic, and then he tried to bring the heart. Heart, the heart back into animation. But he said that the company only wanted to focus on making movies cheaply. <sighs> and I wrote next to that, what a surprise. did see that one.
0: So, I'm so
3: That's shocked. That's a big twist.
0: Can you believe it?
1: Now, maybe we'll do it. I think we're going to do an episode about this at some point. But yeah, there was a lot of like shakeups with like staff and animators and all kinds of problems that were going on at this time at Disney. So, one of those things that happened, what came out of it, was that Don Bluth started making his own movies. And I think that was a blessing yeah. mm-hmm. to all of us. Mm-hmm. So, The Secret of Nim is based on the book, Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim. The animators started working on the movie before they even had a script, and they used the book to drop the initial story. Don Bluth actually, the animator said that he actually storyboarded the entire movie himself and designed wow. the characters.
0: Yeah. Which is insanity. Damn.
1: Yes. Some of the things that the animators would do to make this movie was they would dress up as the characters, <laughs> and then they would move around in co- these costumes, these capes, and long nails and things like that to make, a, make themselves. And then just that way, they'd take a video of it, and they'd be like, "Okay, so that's how that character would move." And then they animated the character based
0: on mm-hmm. that, which is something that a lot of animators still yeah. do today.
3: Yeah, yeah. And I was about to say they did it at Disney too, I believe. With the, was it Snow White or Sleeping Beauty? Yeah, they did that with
1: a lot of Disney or, early Disney yeah. movies. I think they still do it. But yeah, they would they would have a model. Mm-hmm. They'd yeah, they'd hire a model to do everything, and they kind of sketch it as they watched. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I it mean, was easier to anim- like to hire a woman to lay down on a bed and ha ha, you know, do that um, <laughs> versus. Sorry, do you, having, like my, do you like my like my princess impression? <laughs> <laughs> ha ha.
0: ha. <laughs> right, than having this like warlock rat with long <laughs> nails with <laughs> <and> the stab. <stabbing. laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: right. Exactly. Oh, so their motto, they said, was that whatever it takes to put it on the screen, that's our motto. We, we do whatever it takes. Oh, man. So when they started making this movie, they wanted the animators to think of themselves as actors. They thought that that was the best way for them to actually feel the emotion of the characters as they were drawing the characters. And they even had the animators take acting classes so that they could actually put that emotion into the animation, into the characters, so it would be easier to feel it, feel the emotion while you're watching the movie. Mm. Which you absolutely can feel it, watching The Secret of Nim. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. 100%. So they animated Mrs. Brisby to look, well, they, they animated her to look fragile, they wanted her to look, they wanted everyone watching the movie to see her as somebody who could break or could die at any moment. Hmm. And then that way, it really drove home her bravery when she would attack, you know, like she goes after a tractor. She, you know, visits the, the great owl and she visits the rats. Yeah. Yeah. And and she, they wanted everyone to kind of understand how brave she was. So they wanted to make sure everyone saw her as somebody who could die.
3: I wondered why she looked different than her sister. And that makes sense. Mm-hmm.
1: Your sister does look very big and strong. Yeah. 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 The story follows Mrs. Brisby, a widowed mouse, who must find a way to move her ill son from the field before the tractor comes through for the harvest. Right. First she seeks the wisdom of the great owl. Then she visits the rats of Nim. She soon discovers that her husband had a connection to the rats that she never knew of.
0: Mm -hmm. The reason why they couldn't just move the kid is it's also because it's harvest time it's starting to get cold outside Mm -hmm. and he's sick with pneumonia and moving him out in the cold he may not survive right so they had to figure out some way to either make him better stop the tractor do something you know in in order to save him
1: right nim is actually an acronym for an acronym (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) for the national institute of mental health the rats were research subjects that had escaped, and they they only reveal the meaning behind the name once
0: in the movie. Mm-hmm.
1: A lot of people who are fans of the movie didn't even realize it till many years later that that's what Nim stood for.
0: Yeah, it's a it's an offhand thing that you hear the farmer's wife say once. Yeah,
1: she says it once near the beginning of the movie, and mm-hmm. then that's it. So yeah, this is a pretty dark film. When you're you're talking about Mrs. Brisby and the hurdles that she has to go through, it's kind of tough because. I remember I just watched it with Marcy and yeah. it's just you feel so helpless watching this because it's just one thing right after the other. You're like, mm. oh, my God, this poor mouse.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, the movie had to make changes to the story, such as changing the main character's name from Frisbee to Brisbee to avoid trademark issues with the toy company. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oops. Yeah, the movie also made Jeremy the Crow a much bigger character. Than he was in the book, mostly because he is more comedic. They wanted they wanted more of a comedic relief in this dark, sad movie about a mouse. And
3: yeah. it was a good decision. Yeah, I think so yeah. was Brisby. Yeah. I like that name better. <laughs> yeah, I like it
1: too. Yeah, the movie starred Derek Jacoby as Nicodemus, Elizabeth Hartman as Mrs. Brisby, Arthur Mallet as Mr. Ames, Dom DeLuise as Jeremy, Will Wheaton as Martin, Sharon Doherty as Teresa, Hermione Baddeley as Auntie Shrew. John Carradine as the Great Owl. And uh, the music was done by Jerry Goldsmith. Ah, This was, and he was like my favorite composer. Top tier. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, this was actually the first animated movie he ever scored. And he loved this movie. And he actually introduced it to Steven Spielberg. And that was how Steven Spielberg met up with Don Bluth to make An American Tale. There you go. Ah. Because of Jerry Goldsmith. Also Jerry Goldsmith volunteered to work on this work on the score for 3 extra weeks even though he wasn't contractually obligated to do so. Wow. He wanted to make it as good as possible.
3: Oh, that's amazing.
1: Yeah. So if you've seen The Secret of Nam, you know that it's a pretty dark film. We've mentioned that. And when they made it, they actually were hoping to get a PG rating. Mhm. Because they wanted older people to actually watch it. They ended up with getting a G rating, but I did think it was funny because the Black Cauldron. We were talking about how that got a PG rating and it destroyed its box office. Mm-hmm. Like it was really bad in the box office yeah. because it was PG, and they were hoping for PG with this, which I think is very funny.
0: And it kind of shows again the difference between this and these animators, Don Bluth and Disney. Yeah, you know, Disney was known for their like child friendly stuff and when they got PG it was the yeah. opposite of what they needed. Yeah. Whereas Don Bluth, they're taking care of that, you know, mm-hmm. that side of it. They have the they are going for the market in animation where it's not super kid friendly. I mean it's yeah. still a movie for kids. I mean I would eventually show my kid Secret of Nim, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's not it's not in the same level.
1: I found an a quote from the A V Club about Don Bluth and his movies. And uh, it went like this. Bluth's films place plucky, optimistic leads in darkly surreal landscapes where a bunch of trippy stuff happens before the movie reaches its its inevitable happy ending. The thing is, Don Bluth thought it was important to display uncomfortable emotions on the screen, Mm -hmm. which a lot of people did not agree with. I say dead as if he's like dead. He's still alive. But anyway, a lot of people don't agree with that, but I do. I do agree mm-hmm. with that. I think it's absolutely important to put that stuff because I think that if a child has to if a child has to feel sad or feel scared or feel uncomfortable, wouldn't it be perfect if that child felt that way in a completely safe environment mm-hmm. where it, it, at any moment they can just turn it off or just turn to their mom or just isn't that I mean to me Talk that makes it. the most sense. That I think that's a great way for a child to get introduced to those emotions because mm-hmm. at that point that you know it's it's easy to be like okay I don't like this turn it off instead of you know
0: Absolutely.
1: actually experiencing it in actual life you know yeah. I think it's great to prepare children with this kind of stuff.
0: Hmm. And Secret or Nim does a really good job of that. Yeah. It doesn't go too far in any one situation. There's no, you know, I think if they had like maybe if a character died who wasn't the bad guy
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: or you know something like that or, or something else right. scary happened then maybe they would have gotten their pg rating right but um but i think it still does a really good job of displaying an uncomfortable situation or an uncomfortable emotion on the screen especially from mrs brisby yeah she goes that's her whole journey through this movie is just being super uncomfortable in every situation having to surmount these crazy odds you know vi- like for example visiting the great owl after going in there and surviving you know yeah. she's like oh i went to see the great owl and everyone's like what yeah you saw the great owl yeah and lived
1: i think it's really important that you know a lot of these don bluth movies because i i just watched a bunch of them mm-hmm. in a row and it's really important in these movies to have these strong female characters Mm -hmm. You know, in 1982, there weren't a lot of these animated movies with strong female leads. It wasn't really, you know, it happens sometimes. But this is, I mean, she is out of this world. Mm -hmm. She's insane. And she's a mom. She's just desperately trying to help her kid. She never thinks about herself. Mm -hmm. You know, she's, and and that's the thing. Like, she's afraid the whole time. And it's like, it's okay. It's okay that she's afraid because she does it anyway. She's afraid and she does it anyway. And that's...
0: It, the whole point, like, there's a medallion that she gets towards the end, and it, it, the whole thing is about having a courageous heart. And it's not, you know, the power of that thing will only come out for, for truly courageous people, and it shows best with Mrs. Brisby because of how afraid she is. Yeah. You can't be brave without fear, and and that's Mrs. Brisby in a nutshell. Yeah.
1: Secret of Nymph
0: there you go fantastic movie so great great movie let's let's move on to number four a fantastic movie my personal favorite the land before time
3: Uh. (laughs) (laughs) is that that what the music's like
0: no
1: (laughs) i think that's an incredible title the Land Before Time. It
0: is mm-hmm. so...
1: I think we've we've wonderful. heard it been said so many times that we take it for granted and don't mm-hmm. realize how great of a title that actually is.
0: Yeah. Yes, it's wonderful. And actually, fun fact before I even get into the rest of the stuff, is that the working title for the movie was The Land Before Time Began.
1: Ah. Oh.
0: And they just cut off the... But it's better that way. Yeah. I think so yeah. too. Mm-hmm. The Land Before Time. It's an animated adventure drama produced by Don Bluth again. It's another yeah. Wonderful Don Bluth movie. Set in dinosaur time. And actually this movie, if you don't know, this is a franchise that spawned <laughs> uh, 13 sequels. All of them straight to VHS, a DVD. But whatever, not about that. All of them start with a narrator going many eons ago. Yeah. So it's kind of this cool, you know, almost a separate universe from our own, but it's all just it's just before us. Anyway, like I said, produced by Don Bluth and executive produced by Steven Spielberg, George Lucas, Kathleen Kennedy, and Frank Marshall.
1: Do you think Steven Spielberg likes dinosaurs?
0: Th- <laughs> Dude.
1: Maybe me and
0: me and Steve are like <laughs> buddies
3: me and speely yeah
0: he doesn't like <laughs> speely no. <laughs> no, he tried it once so. yeah yeah he, he, i had to leave that day <laughs> kicked me out of that cocktail party yeah. <laughs> but yeah I, I think so when i was doing the research i was like oh my goodness <laughs> i think he really likes dinosaurs yeah <laughs> land before time jurassic park one two three I mean, he we're sti- back. he still executive mm. produces Jurassic World? Um, yeah, and we're back mm-hmm. at, at his uh, animation studio. I think he's got an affinity for dinosaurs, like me. <laughs> yeah, you know, they're just they're great. So the idea behind this movie was Spielberg wanted to do a film that was like Bambi style, the kid kind of thrown into life after losing a parent. And the film was originally pitched, this is a kind of a cool thing, it was originally pitched to have no dialogue at all. Oh, that'd be different. Which would be super weird. It would be long. It would be long, (laughs) and as much as I love dinosaurs, probably kind of boring. So they were like, we're going to not do that.
1: It'd be like a nature documentary with dinosaurs animated. Kind of like, Um. yeah.
0: And the thing is, it's really hard to relate to a character, especially like a child character like Littlefoot, if they don't talk. Yeah. Right? But they changed that to make it a little bit easier to follow and to make it a little bit more appealing to kids. Because this is another movie that, while it has some dark and heavy themes, it's it's a kid's movie. Kids love dinosaurs. Sometimes they don't grow out of it, like me. But uh, there you go. (laughs) The voices here: Gabriel Damon as Littlefoot. He, he, I believe, he voiced Littlefoot for quite a while. Doesn't, didn't in the later movies. You can actually tell the uh, I, because I have seen all of the movies, <laughs> all fourteen of them. Do you guys
1: hear where we don't let Adam talk about dinosaur <laughs> movies?
2: <Yeah. Yuck. laughs>
0: guys, I've seen all of them, and you can tell when the when the voice changes, and I'm like, ah, oh, rats. Cute. Candace Hudson as Sarah. Judith Barcy as Ducky, Will Ryan as Petrie, Helen Shaver as Littlefoot's mom, Burke Barnes as Sarah's father, Bill Irwin as Littlefoot's grandfather, and Pat Hingle is the narrator who says "Many eons ago" at the beginning.
1: Ah, okay.
0: And he does a, in the first movie he does a little bit more narrating too. And this is because this is the only movie of the whole franchise that's not a musical. For me, Littlefoot's mom, her death is probably the most traumatic one. Really? For me. I mean, up there with Mufasa for <laughs> me, right? Because she she dies protecting Littlefoot, who was born pff, like a couple scenes ago, right? Maybe yeah. a year or two ago. So he's super young, only really knows his... Mother and grand grandparents, and then is immediately separated from all of them, which is so incredibly sad. But we talked about it with Secret and them just a minute ago. How Don Bluth thought it was important to do stuff like that. Yeah. Right.
1: Some kids, some kids don't have a mom. I mean, that's a reality that kids face. That some kids watch it and it makes them really sad, but other kids can relate to it. Right. You know, why leave that? Why leave that out? Why leave that kind of stuff out of movies?
0: Yeah. It's. It's. It's not fair to to not represent people like in that situation or anything it's and it's silly to portray always portray this unrealistically perfect world you know because the world's not perfect no and and obviously the land before time is based on earth and in reality uh, you know obviously the dinosaurs talk or whatever but you suspend your disbelief but it's a grounded in in that kind of stuff so it's it's incredibly sad this is the only Don Bluth film that didn't have Dom DeLuise in it, um, <laughs> because he went and decided to go work on Oliver and Company instead. <laughs>
2: oh, oh man.
0: What a loser. <laughs> Just because I thought it was important. The Land Before Time grossed $48 million domestically and $84 million worldwide which is kind of why, even though it's not the biggest animated movie out there, still did well enough, and uh, especially Spielberg likes it enough with his dinosaur jam, Mm -hmm. that it spawned uh, 13 sequels. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they had to cut out about 20 minutes of this movie that was fully animated already, which is crazy, because it's a lot of work to animate 20 minutes. So it was cut pretty late. But they felt that it was too scary at moments for kids because they weren't necessarily shooting for a PG rating. I think this movie got a G rating. A scene that you guys might remember when Sarah and Littlefoot are being chased by a sharp tooth. Yeah. And they had to run into like a patch of thorns. And that scene was actually a lot longer, a lot more in danger, like very close to being caught, right? There were clips uh, from the perspective of the sharp tooth where you see the teeth at the top and bottom of the screen, mm-hmm. you know, like through the mouth of the sharp tooth, and they actually had to re-record some of the screams that the voice actors oh. did because they were a little <gasps> bit too too screamy, too screamy.
2: <laughs> so they
0: they they kidified it a little bit, but that's okay. Yeah, you know, you can't. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's important to put these things on screen, but sometimes right. you, sometimes you do have to tone it down.
1: Yeah, you don't want to scare them too much, like give them nightmares and
0: right. Yeah, so they had to tone that down a little bit. There were other bits and pieces that they had to cut out too. For example, when Littlefoot finds the Great Valley by himself, and then is like, "Oh my gosh, amazing!" And then there's a clip that they cut where he would he began to go down into the Great Valley. He's like, "Screw those other people! Here we go!" <laughs> and um, he's like, "Wait, no! I gotta go! I gotta go help him! What am I doing?" Right. But I love this movie so much. What, some of my favorite scenes, for example, I love Petrie is my favorite character. Petrie the flyer. He's the tiniest little pterodactyl you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> and when they meet him, he's in a tree. And one thing that actually kind of scared me as a kid was was them meeting Petrie because he was this like silhouette hanging from a tree with just some eyes.
2: Yeah. And it was kind of it was
0: kind of creepy, and they got kind of freaked out. Littlefoot and Ducky had already met, you know, and they get kind of freaked out by by Petrie too. So I was kind of in that same boat. But then I realized, oh, Petrie is just the best. He's like (laughs) trying to fly, but he can't quite fly. Yeah. But do you guys like this movie? I mean... No, I hate it. (laughs) Yeah, get it out of
3: here. Why do we have it on the list? No. Oh, God.
0: (laughs) You mentioned in About Secret of Nim how you put a plucky character in a nonsense, crazy world, right? Mm -hmm. And that is absolutely what's happening in this movie because Littlefoot is already the nicest guy <laughs> ever, the nicest no. kid, you know, he loves his yeah. family. He, he likes tree stars yeah. and all that stuff. But then after going through this traumatic event, you see like the world changes, not only emotionally, but physically, you know, there's a huge, they call it an earth shake instead of an <laughs> earthquake, which oh. is hilarious. And, you know, he gets separated. The world is now jaggedy and, yeah, you know, Sharp and ugh, uninviting, <laughs> so it, it it really works that juxtaposition. All the Don Bluth movies love to do that. So maybe I'll force these two to have a whole episode on Land- the whole *Lamb Before Time* franchise. <laughs> Don't roll your eyes. Oh.
1: I was looking up to God. I wasn't rolling like, my eyes. <laughs> No, asking right. for help. <laughs> well, I'm just then. kidding. I'm just kidding. We can do that. That sounds like yeah. a great idea. No,
3: yeah. right. We can do it.
0: So we're going to move on to the next one. We're almost there, guys. Number three.
3: Yeah. Anastasia. Woo.
0: Oh, yeah. Yes.
3: Yeah. It's not a Disney movie. Yes. That. Gah.
1: This one's not even, <laughs> has nothing to do with Disney.
3: Yeah. Nothing. Nothing, guys.
1: <laughs> nothing. <laughs> nothing. Well, now Disney owns it.
3: Yeah, oh, that's true, They because they own everything. Yeah, because they bought a bunch of shit
1: in the past year or so. Ugh. Yeah.
3: All right, so Anastasia. So if you are not familiar with Anastasia, the basic plot is that a young orphan girl teams up with two con men, Vladimir <laughs> and Dmitri, for her to reunite with her true grandmother, the Dowager Empress, while the evil Rasputin <laughs> plots her death
0: i love the name rasputin me too yeah such an awesome <laughs> it's a name. good name
3: yeah like it'd be cool if it wasn't so evil like, be... <laughs> yeah <laughs> i love rasputin the
1: character too in this not, yeah. not the real life guy but this no right
3: but, yeah but, <laughs> yeah but the the christopher lloyd mm-hmm. one yes <laughs> so the actors in this are john cusack meg ryan kelsey Grammer, christopher lloyd bernadette peters kirsten Dunst. Angela and Angela Lansbury, just yes. to name a few. Holy cow! Yeah. Jim what a Cummings cast. is also in and this. and yes, Jim Cummings as well. Whew. The singers, um, so there's in this movie, they don't have the actors sing. They, I think they did an amazing job of matching up the singing voices with just the talking voices. Absolutely. It, it, I mean, especially as a kid, I could not. You just can't tell. Mm-hmm. I mean, even now, yeah. it's so Kelsey hard.
1: Grammer does his own singing in this. Oh,
3: does he? Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. Liz Calloway does the singing voice for Anastasia, and she is also known f- as the voice of the Swan Princess, if you've seen that movie. And Jim Cummings, uh, as I believe Robin has already mentioned, was the singer for Rasputin. And Jonathan Dokuchits as the singer for Dimitri.
1: I just recently showed it to my niece who's six years old and absolutely obsessed with princesses. Mm-hmm. Yes. Absolutely obsessed. And I remember the first thing she did, we finished the movie and the first thing she did was she ran upstairs and she had this game with Disney princesses in it and she pushed aside all the Disney princesses in the game and she was looking for her, and she goes, Robin, why isn't she with my princesses?
0: Oh. She went upstairs just
1: to find her, you know, yeah. and, and the stuff and I said, well,
0: Oh no. Just, um,
1: Because she's not a Disney princess, you know, and And she had these little princess cupcakes made specifically for for Disney princesses. And she goes, that's okay. I'll make one just for Anastasia. And she took bits and pieces from other princesses and put it together for Anastasia. Yeah, she she loved her so much. Yeah, so I, I was afraid that Rasputin would be too scary for her, but she thought he was funny
3: he is. Yeah. I mean, I remember liking him as a kid. Yeah. I mean, his... When, yeah, Yeah. you don't think, like, when his fingers would fall off and stuff. <laughs> like, you might think like, oh, that's so gross and horrifying. Yeah. But, like, as a kid I remember, like, laughing. She thought, I, it, I thought was it was very funny.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, She thought it was funny when his fingers fell off and stuff. and also, But she was, I think the most upset she was throughout, throughout the whole thing was when he died at the end. Because <laughs> she, you know, they show him turn to a skeleton and then they fades away and it was quiet for a second. She went, "He died," and I was like, oh, "Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he was the bad guy, Leah.
3: <laughs> so, <laughs> he wasn't <laughs> exactly good." Yeah, you know,
1: it's yeah. okay, you know. So, but yeah, this is a Don Bluth movie.
3: Yes, it is. So, it's let's... another Don Bluth. Very different It was Don Bluth and Gary, Gary Goldman, and so this actually has roots in a play that was done by Marcel morette She was a French playwright and screenwriter. And the thing that she's most known for is this 1952 play called Anastasia. And so she was known for that. And then this was made into a movie in 1956 starring Ingrid Bergman, Yule Brenner, and Helen Hayes. And the music was done by Alfred Newman. And so then finally again in... 1997 it was made into this 20th century fox animated and then now in 2017 uh, broadway tried to do a version which is pretty interesting they tried to make a a musical version of the animated film right right but because of copyright issues and everything i believe 20th century fox had let their copyright go and everything like that they had issues and were sued because it was too closely related to the play done by Marcel Moret right um especially because there were key elements that were definitely from Morel Marcel Moret the interesting thing about it though is that Marcel Moret wrote this play, but it was also kind of a little bit historically influenced because, you know, I'm sure a lot of you remember Anastasia's family, the Romanovs, were killed. And it was a big mystery as to whether or not Anastasia had lived or not because they could not find the bodies for a long time. And so a lot of people, a lot of women came forward saying that they were Anastasia. And one of the most prominent women that came forward was Anne Anderson. She is probably the most well-known to have come forward.
1: One cool thing that I thought was, I remember learning about Rasputin in school and, you know, they, they had to try to kill him like a whole bunch of different ways. Poisoned him oh. and they, I think they shot him, but eventually they, they, drowned him and that's why i think it was really funny in the movie that they what they did was they made him this like living corpse yeah you know like, mm-hmm. they, like couldn't die yeah. and they did you know they had him living underneath this frozen lake i thought that was a really interesting uh yeah thing
2: that yeah. they did I a little they, nod there yeah and, uh,
3: that is really cool yeah oh, man. Without, so
0: yeah. without explicitly saying yeah yeah he
1: drowned. yeah he drowned or that yeah it's
0: a great movie. yeah i think
1: I think on that on that post somebody did say that Anastasia is their favorite all time mm-hmm. animated movie. Good boogie. pick, yeah.
0: Sure it. is, and that's our, that's why it's our number three. Yeah, yeah number, number three, three
1: is pretty high on the list. It
0: sure is. Sure is. Yeah. All right. Time for number two. You guys ready to move on to number two? Spirit Stallion of the Cimarron.
1: Yeah. Yay. Yes.
0: Now, we can stop talking about Don Bluth for a dang second. Yeah,
1: we're not talking about Don Bluth anymore. Yes.
0: (laughs) Now, this one is one of the newest movies on our list, I believe. It came out in 2002. It's an American animated adventure film by DreamWorks Animation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you guys are familiar with them now. Maybe. They're they're much... (laughs) They've done a few movies, I mean yeah. some cool ones, some <laughs> some others. Yeah. And it was directed by Kelly Asbury and Lorna Cook. And it was their directorial debuts. Like, wow, nice job, guys. The film follows a stallion voiced by Matt Damon. This movie takes place in the Wild West with the American Indian Wars kind of going on where Yeah. Not not great relationships. Going on there, but wild horses are still very much a thing. Spirit, I guess we'll call him. They never really say that that's his name.
1: Right, yeah. In the movie. It's, well, because it's unclear. You know, the horses don't really name each other, Mm -hmm. they just kind of live out there.
0: Right. The the main character, Horse, is the leader of his little group, the herd of the Cimarron. It's his job to protect all of them, and he gets captured by the U.S army that's out there or mm-hmm. the the yep. whatever you want to call them mm-hmm. they they try to break him and get him to be a an army horse
1: this is a great movie
0: yes one really interesting thing that might turn some people off but yeah. if you sit with it it'll you'll be totally in is that none of the horses talk nope they they are 100% the main characters Yet, they communicate solely through body language and actual horse noises.
1: I love it so much. Yeah. It makes... You feel like you're actually watching horses. It's just animated, but you feel like... Mm -hmm. And I love that, you know, you most of the story you get through the human dialogue mm-hmm. and then also like so like you're talking about Land Before Time, if they didn't have dialogue in that, mm-hmm. that wouldn't have worked very well. Right. But it works in this because you've got humans in it too and they mm-hmm. talk and also you've got the the inner monologue of Matt Damon.
0: Right. That that definitely helps. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they don't actually talk at all, even though they are on screen the whole time. Right. And they are able to communicate, like I said, through body language and actual horse sounds. But also one huge thing about animation is the eyes. The yeah. eyes can portray so much emotion just by, you know, a slight tilt of the head, a raise of the eyebrow, a squint, whatever. And you get all of the emotion you need out of yeah. just that. But this this story, after being captured by the army and... You know, refusing to be tamed by the yeah. colonel. James Cromwell is the voice of the colonel. And then uh, later on, Daniel Studi uh, as Little Creek, who is a, a Native American who gets also also yeah. gets captured by the army um, and is kept at the same fort that the horse is, is yeah. at. And, you know,
1: I love this movie because it's a whole different perspective. Mm-hmm. There's a line in the beginning where, you know, the, Matt Damon says whether the West was won or lost in the end is up to you. You know, I guess mm. you get you get to decide whether the West was won or lost. And that it's true. I mean, that's the thing. It's it, the whole idea, you know, when the movie ends, you know, when they're both free together and it's a very bittersweet ending. If you know what happened
0: in part of the movie later on, when um. He actually gets captured a second time, mm-hmm. and this time taken further east to help with building the railroad, the, railroad. the transcontinental railroad that we all uh, have probably heard about.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And he realizes while lugging the steam engine up the mountain because they were going over instead of through at this point. And he's look. They get to the top, and he sees the sunrise over, and he fi- it finally clicks like. Oh my gosh! They're going to my homeland. I can't let them. So that's when he, you know,
1: yeah,
0: does his thing to me to destroy the the whole operation.
1: My mom was really into this kind of history, Mm -hmm. and so I remember when she took me to the theater to see it with my sister Becky, who was obsessed with horses. (laughs) So it was, you know, and the soundtrack is. Incredible. The music's oh, so, so good. good. Mm-hmm. It's so good. I mean I I I recommend you listen to this the orchestral soundtrack Driving Through the Countryside at Golden Hour. Oh my god, it's beautiful. Oh yeah. It's absolutely wonderful music. I love it.
3: And it sounds like a lot of you have spirit for spirit as well, because <laughs> on our Instagram post a lot of you put spirit as your favorite. Yeah. So that mm-hmm. that's awesome. So it made to number two. Yeah,
1: number yeah. two is pretty high.
3: <laughs> pretty dang
0: good. But a little bit more here. Spirit was made over the course of four years. Um, this is one that is using a little bit of 3D in there. It's some of the the landscape shots are done on a computer, but the majority of the film is hand-drawn. The uh, James Baxter is one of the animators who worked on this film, and he said that it was the most difficult part of the entire production of this movie. So, you know, think about how hard these people worked on this movie. It's absolutely gorgeous. It tells an amazing story. And the locations they ended up using as their main inspiration were Glacier, Yellowstone, and Yosemite National Parks. But this film was released in, like I said, 2002, and it earned $122.6 million and was nominated for Best Animated Film. The Academy Award for Best Animated Film. But it lost to Spirited Away.
1: Makes sense. Which is
0: okay. <laughs>
1: yeah. That's fine. Um, and I
0: find it funny that Spirited, Spirited Away, Away beats Spirit. <laughs> yeah. you know. I
1: remember the newspaper had a clipping. We had a newspaper clipping of the poster. And it said, the best animated movie since The Lion King. And I saw that in the newspaper and I took it to my mom and I said we gotta go see this movie
0: mm-hmm. you gotta take
1: me to see this movie it's, it's the best anime movie since The Lion King
0: yeah and I mean it's up there it made our number two Yeah, it's a great yeah. great movie and you should absolutely see it if you haven't
1: so I think it's time for our number one I think it is yeah you guys ready Woo! The Prince of Egypt! Da 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 yeah! da 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 da. The Prince of Egypt, another DreamWorks movie. Yes. So in nineteen ninety four, we're gonna take a little bit of a step back. Walt Disney studio chief Jeffrey Katzenberg left the studio. One day we'll do an episode where we talk about why. Mm-hmm. But I would say that it wasn't good terms. He didn't he didn't leave because he they were best friends. So he along with Steven Spielberg and David Geffen formed DreamWorks, a studio intended to create both live action and animated films. The Prince of Egypt was only its second animated release. In the December in December of nineteen ninety-eight, its first animated release was Ants. Oh. And it was the studio's <laughs> first classically animated film. Yes. Directed by Brenda Chapman, Steve Hickner, and Simon Wells. Brenda Chapman was the first woman to co-direct an animated movie from a major studio.
0: Nice. Hell yeah.
1: The movie took four years to make, which makes sense. You know, they, mm-hmm. they started in 90, you know, it took 94, they started the studio, 98, the movie came out. There you go. So, four years. The creators intended to make an animated version of the epic 1956 Ten Commandments, and the movie is based in the book of Exodus in the Bible. Although Katzenberg had pitched the idea to Disney several times... They said no.
0: Of course they did. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: They never went with it. So Steven Spielberg, when, when he brought Steven Spielberg on for My this boy. new project, Steven <laughs> Spielberg said, hey, you know what you should do? You should do an animated Ten Commandments. And Katzenberg was like, holy shit. Thank, I'm so glad somebody said that. I guess it's a great idea. <laughs> so the movie starred Val Kilmer as Moses and Ralph Fiennes as Ramses. Steve Martin... Martin Short, Helen Mirren, and Patrick Stewart were other people in the movie, along with Jeff Goldblum and Danny Glover.
0: Dang. Jeff Goldblum.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Steve Martin and Martin Short actually recorded their lines together, and they sang their parts for, you know, playing with the big boys now is a song that they sang together. Not all the actors sang their parts, but Steve Martin and Martin Short sure did. Nice. And the Egyptian high priests, Hoy and Hotep, the Prince of Egypt follows the story of Moses, the adopted son of the pharaoh. After discovering his true identity as a Hebrew, the oppressed people enslaved by the Egyptians, Moses attempts to convince his brother Ramses to set the Hebrew slaves free. When Ramses, his once beloved brother, says no, Moses leads his people out of Egypt. The story is based on the book's Book of Exodus, right? Mm-hmm. With a few key differences that were made for the sto- for story purposes. For example, Moses in the in the animated movie Moses accidentally kills a slave master but in the Bible he killed him on purpose it was murder mm. yeah and so they changed it they did to you know make stuff Moses like a that, little bit yeah stuff like that's a little too complicated yeah. you know like yeah, you,
3: you don't want kids for, asking to like mm-hmm. those guys
1: Right, so the filmmakers consulted almost 600 outside sources in an attempt to make the film as accurate as possible to the source material. All religious scholars that were associated with the film reported that the studio appeared to listen to their ideas, and they praised them for actually seeking counsel
2: from religious people.
1: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I
0: mean, you can tell. Yeah, it's incredible.
1: Yeah. To avoid controversy, the voice of God was meant to be done by every person in the cast simultaneously, but they thought maybe at least one person's voice should be more prevalent than everyone else's, so what they did was they had everyone whisper their lines, and then Val Kilmer actually just spoke his lines, so his voice, so the voice of Moses and the voice of God are actually the same voice, but if you're listening to the movie, you can actually hear all the voices underneath, mm-hmm. so that it, it it's like everybody, like God is everyone,
0: essentially. Right. Because mm-hmm. it would be, it'd be kind of hard to, or I guess not hard, but it would be, you know, a little iffy to make a statement. Like, we are saying that God is sounds like this. Yes. Or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. So having it be yeah, all the voices at once kind of mm-hmm. gives it this otherworldly yeah. feel to it.
1: I I think I read too that they actually thought about having children do the voice of God, but oh. they were like, we don't we don't want to offend anybody this. And so we're yeah. just going to we're going to make it be everybody, but then they just they, they were like, we do need one voice because it's kind of hard to mm-hmm. hear when it's a whole bunch of people all talking at once. So, the parting of the Red Sea sequence. Oh my gosh. Yes, right? Yeah. Considered by many to be the most beautiful scene in the film. It's 4 minutes long. It took ten animators and two years to complete.
0: It's insane, but it, it, it has one of probably one of my favorite animated moments of all time where the shot of them against the wall it's, it's already up and yeah. they're walking through and there's lightning shining through the water from outside and you see the silhouette of a whale coming through mm-hmm. and then you know you see it for a second in the distance and then the lightning flashes again and it's up close and it's one of the coolest <laughs> yeah concepts one of the coolest ideas yeah. and one of the most beautifully animated moments ever
1: the soundtrack was done by hans zimmer oh guys oh yeah oh <sighs> With songs done by the one and only Steven Schwartz. God, I love Steven. Hey, if you listen yeah. to this podcast, you know I love Steven Schwartz. <laughs> he is such oh God, he's so good. He's such a good songwriter. Uh so he wrote songs for, you know, Godspell, Godspell. which is one of Marcy's favorite yep. musicals, and then, you know, Hunchback and Over Dom Wicked.
0: So on and Pope so on. It's yeah. So many good Hans things. Just,
1: yeah. I have a quote from him. I saw I was watching a making of the Prince of Egypt earlier today. And a quote from him in that, he said, songs and animated features have become very important in terms of telling the story and giving a style and tone to the movie. And I, he's absolutely right.
0: 100%. The music yeah. in
1: this, I think one of the reasons why it's number one, right, guys? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is the music. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. In order to rank these movies, we gave them scores. And immediately, when, when we got to this one, <laughs> yeah. just, to, just to give you a couple examples, when we got to this one, one of our categories is animation. We said, animation, 10, 10, move ten. on. And then when we got to music, 10, 10, move. No <laughs> questions about <laughs> it. We knew it. We,
1: we, it it <coughs> was really, honestly, it was very close.
0: And, and really all of the movies were very closely knit. But yeah. luckily we were able to rank them as we did. But gosh, looking back, you can't deny that the Prince of Egypt is stunning. It, it, and this movie does a lot of shots that I love where... The camera is pulled way back to where all the people are incredibly small, but then all of the structures are almost like in a different plane from yeah. the people. And they feel up close, but it's just because it gives them this immense scale, you know, all of these things that they're building, the these statues of the pharaoh, and it just gives this crazy scale feeling things are huge and people these people are thought of and and are so minuscule
1: i think one of the moments that stands out to me the most is a scene when he moses is looking at hieroglyphs on on the wall and he sees you know he's watching the story of how all those babies were slaughtered because that you know they they foretold of some a, a prince who would deliver the the hebrews out of egypt i remember the imagery is very strong and it's it's pretty intense right it was a great way to show that
0: yeah and and one of one of my favorite things about this movie is it's a it's a religious story sure but it doesn't rely on religion as its focal point and they do a really good job of that in this movie the idea of god or believing in god is not what's not the conflict here, you know, when he runs into the burning bush, right? You know, it says, I am the god of your people, or I can't remember the, the exact quote. But I know he
1: says the alpha and the omega, I remember yeah, that part, yeah. And then yeah.
0: Moses, like, yeah, all right, yeah, you know, there's no like, well, but when I grew a burning up,
1: burning bush talks to you, you listen, right?
0: Yeah. But it's not like, well, I, I grew <laughs> up believing in Ra and these mm-hmm. Egyptian gods, why, you know, how can you prove it or what? Yeah, that's. Pfft. You know, mm-hmm. none of that stuff. It's that's not what's important. And and they and then the conflict is really the relationship between Moses and Ramses rather yeah. than rather than worrying about what God's mm. doing or anything like that. Cause right. The belief is still God will deliver us. God will eventually get us out of here.
1: This the story is so strong. The animation's beautiful, the songs are the best. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just all around.
0: It's amazing. Awesome.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's why it's our number one. Yeah. yeah.
0: It's an amazing amazing thing. Props to all the people who worked on that movie. Yeah.
1: 100%. Um, it's
0: amazing. And it gets our number one spot yeah. for the top ten non-Disney animated movies. Classically animated. Classically animated movies. We'll probably Non-studio do Non-Studio Ghibli. Right. <laughs> <laughs> There's some stuff. I mean, whatever. <laughs> Don't worry about We've it. We've
1: got lots of little caveats there.
0: But... We'll probably do an episode later about non-Disney 3D animated movies. We're, we already mentioned we'll probably do a Studio Ghibli episode. Oh, def. Uh All sure, kinds of stuff. sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> but that'll do it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you made it this far, wow. <laughs> you done thank did you. it. This is a long one. But thank you so much for listening. Let us know what your favorite non-Disney animated movie is. We'd love to hear it. There are definitely more that we didn't talk about.
1: Oh, we had some honorable mentions. We wanted to mention Thumbelina. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, Another
1: Don Bluth movie with an, another fem- strong female protagonist.
0: Yeah. Fern Gully is another good one. Yes. The Page Master.
1: Yes. We thought that yeah. maybe there was too much live action in that one. Yeah. We yeah. definitely love The Page Master. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for Yes. Sure.
0: We, we mentioned We're Back earlier on, uh, you know, Amblimation,
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: Watership Down is oh, one that oh, a lot of yeah. people know about.
1: We'll talk about, I think we should talk about really dark animated movies that we're going to talk about in this yeah. episode.
0: We've got All Dogs Go to Heaven, mm-hmm. The Hobbit, yeah. uh, Road to El Dorado. Yeah. I know that's probably some one that Absolutely. a lot of people are like, what? Didn't make the top ten?
1: I can't believe you didn't say that one. Oh, well, there it
0: is. The Road to El Dorado. <laughs> yeah. uh, Rockadoodle. Cats don't dance. The Rockadoo. last unicorn. Yeah. There are so many.
1: Oh, the last unicorn.
0: There are so many. Mm-hmm. So let us know. Give us a tweet at Case Diary. Yeah,
1: be nice, but also you can yell at us if you want. If you
0: want, but <laughs> yeah, tell us why. We want to know why you would. What's your top ten? Why? What would you change about our top ten? Yeah, we're, we're we'd love to get into this. To the discussion with you we,
1: guys, we're not the we're not the foremost experts on this shit. <laughs> you
0: know. It's
1: all you know. So it's, it's all subjective. We're
0: not scary, I promise.
3: I mean, you, you aren't, but no. Just unless kidding. you don't, unless you don't.
0: <laughs> like,
1: I'm pretty <laughs> terrifying. I'm. Pretty <laughs> <terrified>. <laughs> I do not know if you've met me, but unless you <laughs>
0: don't like land before time, then you can go ahead and unsubscribe.
1: No. I'm five foot two, pure rage. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> go check out our Patreon. Uh, Patreon.com slash Black Diaries. Check out Marcy's Drink of the Week over there. And our Instagram, at Black Diaries podcast. Um, we have all kinds of cool pics. You'll probably see a pic of that drink up there oh, as yeah. well.
2: Ooh, yeah.
0: And I think, I think that's it, everybody. That's
1: it. That's
2: Bye. It. So thank
0: you again. Bye-bye. We'll see you next week.